Welcome to the Aging Gracefully Podcast. I'm Janae Anderson. And I'm Mary Thompson. Join us as we explore the myths, beliefs, and realities of aging to empower each of us to thrive on all levels, every moment of our lives. Hey, Janae, how are you doing today? I'm tired, Mary, and I'm tired of being tired. Why? What's going on? I haven't slept well in years. In years? Years. What's, what do you think that's all about? I hear that a lot from women. Yeah, it's, a, it's very common, especially amongst postmenopausal women. I think it's 61% of us don't sleep well. 61%? That's yeah, crazy. It's too many. That's like an epidemic. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And it's not well addressed. So let's discuss it today. Okay, we're going to discuss it because I think if you're not getting enough sleep, then aging gracefully is very, very difficult. <laughs> it's pretty ungraceful, I admit. Right, because I know when I'm tired, I think we have a friend who had fallen asleep at the wheel. You know, and I think that's one of the oh. one of the challenges when we don't get enough sleep. We put ourselves in actual danger, physical danger, and it's harder to cope during the day. Mm-hmm. I would say it's aging disgracefully. <laughs> disgracefully, <laughs> I like that. So, tell me about your sleep. What is what is going on with you? I'm usually so tired by night that I fall fast asleep easily. Nine thirty to ten is my usual bedtime, and then I wake up two two thirty. And I simply can't get back to sleep. Um, yeah, and sometimes my mind is going crazy, but not always. Sometimes my mind is very calm, so I can't always blame it on the mind. Sometimes I have a body ache or pain, um, and sometimes I wake up for no reason at all wow. that I can discern. And does it go in cycles? Is it something that pretty much is all the time, or does it go on and off? It does go in cycles, but predominantly I don't sleep well. Wow. Yeah. That can be so hard on the body and so hard on the mind. It is. And so what do you do? Have you found anything that's that's worked for you? or is? Well, it depend, depends on what phase I'm in. Normally, I get up and I have a period of yoga postures and I meditate. And often that is enough to get me to sleep. Sometimes I will use herbs or melatonin with some... some results and some no results and then if I get desperate if I've had some really difficult nights all in a row I will resort to drugs that not real hard drugs I have done hard drugs but not anymore Um, now it's more like a Tylenol PM or something Mm -hmm. so you think there's so many good things that I hear in that one I, I think we get up and do something kind of breaks that cycle of laying in bed and turning on your left side laying on your right side punching the pillow that you know, I think just leaves you so frustrated. So getting up and moving the body maybe gets you back into that space of flow. I find it really helps to move and to breathe and then to sit mm-hmm. quietly for a, a little while and just take it all in. And I have to admit, sometimes I even wonder because, you know, it, having a teenager, life is pretty active and noisy during the day and I crave quiet. And I do wonder if sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night because it's so quiet it's a really sacred time with the stars twinkling outside and only my quiet kitty to keep me company yeah that's a really interesting thought that do we create a problem because we like some kind of the the benefit of it? i wonder that sometimes <laughs> it's, that's interesting i don't like to think that because I, I hope that we're kinder to ourselves than trying to make ourselves sick so that we can take the finally get the relaxation we want yeah and i would much rather sleep all night and get up at five in the morning and enjoy that quiet right it's gonna be as quiet at five as it is at two around here yeah 
So when I was younger, much, much younger, and I was teaching elementary school, I was very stressed. And at that time I had insomnia. I either had insomnia or repetitive dreams that uh, it had, if I look back at them from now the future, looking back and going, that dream was kind of telling me a lot. It was, I would always have a dream of being trapped in a house and trying to find my way out. Wow. And there were no doors to get out. And I realized in retrospect, that was my life at that time. Wow. And I should have shown up with a chainsaw in the dream and cut a hole in the wall in my escape, which I kind of did. But that's another podcast. But she did. She did. <laughs> so the concept of insomnia for me was always that linking it with stress because that was my experience. And how do you sleep now, Mary? Well, now I sleep really well. Wow. I mean, I'm postmenopausal as well. I'm about 10 years postmenopausal. And I sleep better now than I did when I was working more hours and when I had more stress. So for me, stress was a bigger factor. Mm-hmm. And when I'm awake during the night, like in preparing for today's talk about sleep, I had to, of course, wake up at three in the morning and <laughs> stay awake for half an hour, 45 minutes. Real life experience. It's yes, I, it's, it's very good. It's, it's science. It's yeah. for science. <laughs> And so I realized that for me, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm going to start obsessing about something. Um, Maybe it's beating myself up for not being better at something, you know, looking at as my son's a teenager and I'll be thinking about challenges that he might be facing and I'll worry. Or I might think about, oh, this was big last night. Some projects that I've got on the table that have been on the back burner that need to come to the front burner. And I don't know if I have enough front burners for them. And so I get like my stress goes, oh, have I got to call that person back and I've got to work on this project and can I delay that one? And so I got caught up in that. And so that kept me awake a little bit. So stress for you. Stress for me is going to be the thing. I I can't think of a time when I wake up and I'm awake that it's not, my mind's not going to be spinning. Mm Mm-hmm. And so because of that, what'll help me go back to sleep in that is meditation. Is And we talked about meditation on an earlier podcast, but it could be something as simple as I'm laying in bed, my eyes are closed, and I'm just trying to watch my breath. When I was much younger, I used to challenge myself with, um, I guess they could be like Zen koans, but it was just trying to get my brain to focus on nothingness. You know, it was, I'd imagine a blank piece of paper. And if I could really fully imagine that blank piece of paper, then I would fall asleep because I no longer had all the the self-talk. And so that's kind of what I adapt now with just kind of breathing. And if the thought comes up with, yeah, but what about that phone call? It's like, I can take care of that in the morning. <laughs> it's the phone will still be there in the morning. That person is asleep right now. <laughs> and uh, or what about that email you didn't respond to? It's going to be okay, right. you know. Isn't there's... that interesting? So the anxious mind having having a discourse with mm-hmm. the other part of your mind. Right. Yeah. And the other part of my mind just keeps, it's, it's very kind. It's very kind and gentle. It just says it'll be okay. Nice. As opposed to telling the anxious mind to get out the window. You know, it's like right. really considering that it could, that if it's not going to help getting angry at myself is just going to cause me more anxiety. Yeah. But I've been fortunate because I'm one of the 40% of postmenopausal women that I don't think that my sleep disturbance is caused by hormonal imbalance. You are fortunate. And Mm -hmm. I have tried estrogen, which I know Mm -hmm. the lack of does contribute to sleep imbalance, and I didn't get any Mm -hmm. results from that. Well, you know, I want to talk about hormones for a minute because melatonin is a hormone. Ah. And what really interested me about melatonin was the concept of what it does. And what melatonin does, I think we have this belief system that it's kind of like an Ambien or something that's going to put you to sleep. But what it does is it boosts your production of serotonin and norepinephrine. 
And serotonin, we know a lot about because we know with the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the antidepressants that people take, that we know when we have lots of serotonin, we feel happy. And when we don't have a lot of serotonin, we feel discontent. It's kind of a simplistic way of putting it. So when you have melatonin produced, it boosts your body's production of serotonin, and that helps you fall asleep. Mm. The other hormone or the other neurotransmitter that comes in here is norepinephrine, and this is your alert hormone. This is the one that's going to, to allow you to be asleep but still hear when the door opens or to be asleep and still hear when the baby's crying. Oh, the phone rings. Okay, I'm just going to jump in. So we have a little dog that sleeps in the bed with us, and lately he's decided he wants to sleep right in the middle of the bed, separating my husband and me. And so two nights ago, I said to Roderick, I said, we have to not let him do this. Can you help me to block him from coming in between us in the middle of the night? He said, well, I'm asleep at night. And I said, well, I know, but can't you keep a little part of yourself awake so that you can block the dog when he tries to come into the middle? And he said, no, I can't do that. I sleep with every part of me. <laughs> and, you know, I was just, it's just what you were talking about because I could easily do that because I'm programmed to stay awake in case the baby cries, keep that little self, little part of myself awake and listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But see, it's a survival mechanism. And the longer we live in a house, the more secure we feel, the less we need that little survival mechanism. But this neurotransmitter or this, let's see if I think of norepinephrine. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> it's going to be produced when we're under stress. So if all day long we're producing norepinephrine because we're under stress, then when we go to sleep and the melatonin says, oh, we need a little bit more of that. We have a little bit too much. And now we wake when we hear the dripping faucet in the bathroom. Or we wake when there's a creak in the house. And if you have a house that's settling, it might creak all the time. And now we're awake and we're alert. And we don't have enough of the melatonin now because its primary production was when the lights went out. Yikes. And so it's kind of like when you get up, you bring up the light. Now you turn off the light. The melatonin comes back in. And so you get that extra boost of the serotonin. But the other thing I think is so fascinating is that over 80% of the free serotonin in our bodies is produced in the gut. It's produced in our digestive system. So our food becomes a really important factor when we're not sleeping. Uh, I've noticed a definite, um, what's it called? Where Relationship. the two go together. Relationship <laughs> between my, the health of my gut and my sleep. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. And so that's where probiotics come in and things like that. But really it's looking at... What am I doing that's antibiotic? And I don't mean like antibiotics, but what are the things I might be taking that destroy health? Maybe it's processed foods or maybe it's, I don't know, it could be any kind of substances that don't feed me <laughs> that may actually deplete my body's ability to help me sleep. So Mary, what do you recommend? Well, I think the first thing I'm gonna talk about is stress. because. You know, maybe we don't have the kids in the house anymore. Maybe we don't have, um, we're not on that upward track at work. We found a nice, maybe we're retired or maybe we've just found a nice space in our work environment that's, that serves us. But maybe we generate stress in other ways. So kind of looking and seeing how stressful would you consider your day? Am I always in that boat of I can't be here because I got to be over there? You know, maybe I've just taken on too many things on my plate. So and I would add to that, 
A lot of the time when we're stressed, we're not even aware of it. So ask your friends, ask those who are close to you if, they, if their perception of you is that you're stressed. Oh, that's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'd never thought of that. I don't want to know. <laughs> I must be stressed. I don't want to ask just, them. I have a friend whose neck was so tight that he was passing out. Mm-hmm. And um, he went to the doctor who said it was stress. And he was like, but I'm not stressed. I'm not stressed at all. But then when he looked at his life, his father was dying. College was very difficult. You know, he had all mm-hmm. these stress factors. And he had to accept the fact that he was actually stressed. Mm-hmm. So to get those outward confirmations can be very helpful. Yeah. So I think looking at self-care around that, what I always think about in our society is we like to do things, but we don't necessarily like to prepare for them or to recover from them. Mm. You know, we just like to do. So if you look at runners, they train for the race they're going to run, and they prepare their bodies, and then they go and they run the race, and then they take time in recovery. Well, the best in the best sense, they would do that. That's going to make sure the body gets to perform at its peak because you prepared for it, and it's not harming any tissue because you recover from it. And I think we could look at our day like that, too, and see where are our stresses during the day? Is there a way I could prepare better for it? And that might be self-care, taking, making sure that you're feeding yourself, mm. feeding yourself good, wholesome food, or taking care that you're getting those times of rest after a time of activity. So I think that's a big thing with stress is identifying, am I stressed? And then saying, well, what can I do? I can't simply you know, get my mother to improve her health, but I can make sure that I take care of myself before I go to meet with my mother or deal with my mom's issues and then recover well afterward. I think self-care is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time I got assigned a half hour of self-care per week. Can you imagine? Like per week. And looking at it now, I, I'm, I give myself about that much per day, sometimes mm-hmm. a bit more. Yeah. Um, it's just so important because it's the old thing. If, if we're not receiving, how can we possibly give? Mm-hmm. I went to a workshop one time with a psychologist, and he talked about he would never give 110%. Because if you're at 110%, you're always going 10% in debt every time you're doing anything. So you're mm-hmm. going in debt to yourself and your energy. And he said, the best you're ever going to get from me is 40%. <laughs> he said, because I can give you 40% every day, and I still have 60% going back to keep my strength. And he said, but if I gave you even over 50%, I'm still going to deplete my own reserves, and eventually I won't be able to do the things I want to do. Wow. And I thought it would really open my eyes. I was probably in my 20s when I heard that. And it was so mind-expanding to think that I didn't have to be at the volume of 11 Right. Every time. Wow. That I could turn it down a little bit and sustain that without any damage. Pace yourself. Right. Yeah. So that's one thing. But maybe you're not stressed. Maybe it's a hormonal thing. Then I think the next best thing to look at is digestion. What's happening in the digestive system? Uh, This may not be your issue, but sometimes we eat too late. And that could, digestion can be an issue with that. But it could also be what we're eating. Coffee's huge. So many people drink coffee. And they'll think, well, it doesn't affect my sleep. My last coffee is at, you know, 10 in the morning or 2, or the two in the afternoon or something. And it's like, it can, it depends. Mm. I've lately, in the last couple of weeks, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I've had twice in the last month, I've ordered a cafe au lait, a decaf cafe au lait, thinking that I would, oh, I enjoy the taste of it. And I thought, oh, and it's decaffeinated, so it's not going to impact my sleep. 
But I recognize, and I, the first time when I didn't go to sleep that night until much later, I thought, oh, that probably was a fluke. You know, it's probably because this was early. It was decaf, no big deal. But the second time I had it, I had the same experience that I was sitting there awake at one, staring at the ceiling going, okay, maybe that was, maybe I can't even do decaf. Maybe there's too much because it still has a little caffeine. And because I don't have any in other areas of my life, I'm more sensitive to it. But I think it's important to recognize maybe sugar, caffeine, alcohol, all of these can impact sleep. It's true. And yet some people swear by a drink before bed. Right. And they probably would have slept fine without it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So I, it's, it's hard when you're sleep deprived not to give yourself a little caffeine a right. boost in the morning and then you're on mm -hmm. this cycle. Right. Well, that's in order to take a nap. Yes. Take a nap during the day and yeah, then what do you, you can't think sit of naps. Oh gosh, I love a good afternoon nap. I, but I don't but it has to be early enough that it won't impact my ability to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Usually what I think about with napping, because as I said, I don't drink any caffeine, and there is a there is an energy dip that happens in the afternoon. So lately what I've been trying to do is to see if before I fall uh, before I succumb to the nap. If I go for a walk or something, can I get an energy boost from simply increasing my breath rate, increasing my metabolism? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm. But I think if you're really getting depleted and not, um, and you're exhausted, then a nap can be an option to get some replenishment to the sleep. The challenge is usually with naps, we don't get into that deep sleep that the nervous system needs for its repair. So that can be a little tricky. Yes, I can see that. But how about you? I know you do. You've been told a lot of different things. What are some of the what are some of the things people told you? This, I put this, this out to my online community, specifically asking postmenopausal women what they have done, what actually works. And um, I've got a lot of responses. One was something called maca. Maca. Maca is a really great herb. It's it's a adrenal. This is interesting. It helps support the adrenal gland, and the adrenal gland is the one that's producing all those stress hormones. Oh. So I wonder if the people getting results with maca are actually in need of some kind of stress reduction. Maca tastes good. It's really, it's kind of sweet. It's a root, and it's um, yummy. It's uh, found in South, Central and South America. So I like maca. It's a good tonic herb, and it's going to be um, kind of strengthening to the body, the whole all body mm. systems. So for those of us who feel that there's always a part of us on guard, maca right. would be very mm -hmm. helpful for her. Right, because ah. it's going to help support the body stress response. Excellent. Very good to know. Um, magnesium. Magnesium. Now that's a mineral. That's really interesting. I, it was funny because I commented to Janae when we were talking about sleep that I take magnesium, but I didn't think about it having any impact on my sleep. So I was trying last night not taking the magnesium and seeing what effect it had. And I woke up about three in the morning. <laughs> and so I'm going to say magnesium probably works pretty well. But it was that was a very isolated study. There was no control group. It was only it was only me. <laughs> well, I will I'll add my very isolated study as well that within the last couple of weeks, I have been taking magnesium at night and it hasn't helped at all. Oh, interesting. Okay, so there you have it. The I'm definitive the sense that it's very individual, what works and what doesn't. I think it is because I think for people that magnesium works for is people who are magnesium deficient. Right. And so you may not have that magnesium deficiency, so the magnesium's not the thing, but maybe maca with for the adrenals. Strength, the adrenals will be the thing. 
But I think that's that's the key point is making sure that you identify what's right for you. So often we read an art magazine article or someone tells us, oh, you know, this works and we think it should work for everybody because it works for somebody. That's right. Mm -hmm. Now there are those postmenopausal women and like you, I'm 10 years postmenopause, but there are some women who still get hot flashes. Mm -hmm. So one of the recommendations was peppermint oil spray. Hmm. sprayed on the chest and on the areas that that get heated Mm because peppermint is cooling oh that's interesting yeah Yeah, peppermint is really cooling so it may also be because i've noticed i just am hotter i'm just like i sleep much much hotter i used to be that person always wearing socks to bed and always wearing having the covers really wrapped up and i was so cold Mm. and now i'm very very overheated and so i think peppermint might be a good thing for me if i was feeling like i wasn't sleeping because of heat yeah that might be good mm-hmm. um somebody said her doctor prescribed her half an advil pm every night mm-hmm. what do you think of that kind of thing you know i would just check uh, make sure the liver's strong because it's that little doses little doses little doses of of some of the substances can build up in the liver and so I don't have a problem with people taking any kind of medication when they need to sleep because I think the consequences of no sleep can be even worse. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. I think I might take the Advil PM when I really needed it and try other, other tricks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because a lot of today's talk, I've been, I've been putting on my Ayurvedic practitioner hat in the natural, kind of exposing all of you to natural healing methods <laughs> and my focus on deal with lifestyle and diet first. Yes. But at the same time, I've, I probably haven't worked as much with insomnia for myself as Janae has. And it's I'm saying, a living experiment. <laughs> that's good. That's good. This is part of your, your bouquet. Yes. <laughs> for her bouquet, she will conquer insomnia. Um, so setting goals for ourselves are really important, too. But there, there have been times, though, in the last years that you've slept okay. There or have. Slept well. But there's no rhyme or reason to them. Oh. It's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. We should be able to identify it. Yes, I will. Uh, a lot of people have recommended to me medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. And I must tell you the story that I had trying that out. So I did try. And I awoke in the middle of the night, fascinated by my husband's snoring. <laughs> Each snore I could feel uh, touching the little hairs deep within my ears as they made their passage. And I stayed awake for hours listening to the snores and I didn't sleep, but I didn't care. And that was my experience with medical marijuana for insomnia. That's so funny. I can imagine that. I, it's like, oh, I just got up and watched Fantasia. Right. I figured you woke up and had to eat something. No. <laughs> There's going to be that. So it's, you know, so exploring what works, what's going to work for you and recognizing that it may not be the same thing. I remember listening to one woman speak about uh, postmenopausal insomnia, and she was a poet. And she woke up, she would say that she really relished that postmenopausal insomnia because she did her best and most creative writing at that time. So it's one of those, I for, my, for myself, I like to, like I said, I like to meditate and put myself back to sleep. And I find that even if I don't fall back asleep, I still feel rested in the morning because I got that kind of deep recovery going on in the nervous system. 
Yes, I agree. And I mean, there's something so sacred about that time. And if I can mm -hmm. just surrender mm -hmm. and do my yoga and do my meditation in that open, surrendered place instead of going, well, I got to do this so I can get back to sleep. I got to do this so I can get back to sleep. Let, let mm -hmm. the goal actually be awakening, inner awakening, mm -hmm. right. rather than going back to sleep. It makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know 4 a.m. is a very crucial time and a lot of different paths that they look at that as the time when there is the least separation between the physical and the spiritual. Mm. And so maybe cultivating that spiritual relationship at that time, whether through meditation or creative output or whatever speaks to you, is when we really embrace that, maybe we'll be less disturbed by it. I would think so. Yeah. Well, I think that's it for us today. I think that's it, Mary. Mm, good night. <laughs> you sleep well. All of you sleep well. Okay, well, thanks for joining us. This is Mary Thompson. And Janae Anderson. Signing off.